so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Trip Lee has been rapping since before he became a Christian. Since he started following Jesus, the Lord has used his voice and music to teach white evangelicals, among others, about racial issues. Let's listen to his talk at MLK 50 titled, Christian Hip Hop and the New Generation of Racial Unity. Let me just pray and then we'll jump right in. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace, Lord, and we pray. Now that you would honor yourself, you build up your people, you would uh, make us love the things you love and hate the things you hate. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I've been asked to speak on the topic of Christian hip-hop and the next generation of racial unity. And uh, for that topic, um, which uh, I assume is a topic they would not give to someone like D.A. Carson, uh, I'm still happy to be here. Um, I do think that that music can help push this conversation forward that we're having about racial justice, about racial unity in some ways. But what I want to mainly focus on during this brief time is, you know, some lessons that I've learned about this push through the way that Christians have interacted with rappers like me. I'm going to tell you just a little bit of my story as a rapper. I've been rapping since before I met Jesus. I met Jesus when I was about 14 uh, years old, and he changed my life. Um, I signed a record deal while I was in high school. My first album uh, came out when I was a senior in high school in 2006. And I'd been inspired by rappers like Cross Movement who uh, were good and were lifting up Jesus and the stuff that they did. And, you know, as as we started to do stuff, uh, me me and the guys that I was rapping with, Acceptance from churches was a little slow, but, but soon people were starting to bring us out. And so it was mostly black churches and black events and black conferences. But a, a few years in, something interesting happened. White people found out about us. <laughs> and as that happened, uh, somebody said, yeah. Um, and as that happened, what we did started to grow a little bit and youth, youth groups and uh, college ministries and some pastors and leaders fell in love with what we were doing. And you know, we were invited on some big CCM tours. And, you know, if I could describe this in one way, I would say that Christian hip-hop at this time was in style. Recently, I read a chapter from Langston Hughes in his autobiography, The New Sea, and he's talking about the Harlem Renaissance and how some people responded to it. Uh, the chapter is called, When the Negro Was in Vogue. I want you to listen to what he says. He says this. It was the period when the Negro was in vogue. I was there. I had a swell time while it lasted, but I thought it wouldn't last long. For how could a large and enthusiastic number of people be crazy about Negroes forever? But some Harlemites thought the millennium had come. They thought the race problem had at last been solved through art plus Gladys Bentley. 
They were sure the new Negro would lead a new life from then on in green pastures of tolerance created by County Cullen, Ethel Waters, Claude McKay, Duke Ellington, Bojangles, and Alan Locke. You know, Hughes is kind of making fun of the idea that art on its own would solve all of our problems as if white people liking black music would somehow usher in the new heavens and the new earth. That's a bizarre concept. So, you know, even for Christian hip-hop, one of the cool things that would happen is you'd come to our concerts and you would see people from all these different ethnicities. You would see this crazy diversity. And sometimes people would act as if I, I've never been to a place that has this many different people in. I can't believe Christian hip-hop is solving all the race problems in America. And that always seemed like a strange overreaction to me. One of our main problems, especially with complex stuff like racial justice and racial unity, is we try to apply these oversimplified solutions to complex problems. We put more weight on stuff than it can possibly handle. And so we want to run to these quick and easy solutions and we'll get ahead of ourselves. And here's what I want to say. It would be really dangerous for us to assume that Christian hip-hop's popularity equals racial unity or that people showing up in the same room equals racial unity, or that it can achieve it by itself. Because there's a difference between being excited about a trend and being excited about what God is already excited about. And here's why I think this is especially relevant for this conversation that we're having. It's not just Christian hip-hop that's in style. Right now, justice is in style. Right now, diversity is in style. So, you know, that's not to say everything is as diverse as it should be. But people see diversity as one of those things that you get cool points for in particular circles, right? Some of y'all are probably going to get some nice pats on the back for attending this conference. Some of y'all are probably making some real woke sounding tweets right now, uh, (laughs) hoping that uh, the black people that you hope follow you one day will give you some credit when they see it. (laughs) And you're going to feel good and you'll probably quote tweet yourself a year from now like, I've been caring about this for a long time. But without knowing you, I I don't know everybody here, but I can say that I feel pretty certain that at least some of us are here and some of us care about this justice and unity just because it's in style right now. Uh, Sometimes Christians can end up taking a kind of fast fashion approach to social issues. You know what fast fashion is? There are a lot of popular stores that fall into this category, and I don't want to name names, but, you know, let's just make up a store. Say it's called M&H. And this fictional store that doesn't exist in real life doesn't ever come up with any original ideas, right? They just kind of hop on the trend. So if they see that joggers are popping, they're going to make a bunch of joggers. If they see that, you know, ripped up denim is popping, they'll make a bunch of ripped up denim. And they will look at designers and they will take their exact thing and they will sell it. Um, And you know what? It costs like $7 and it lasts for like seven days. But you know, they can, they can keep it moving. And this is kind of how Christians sometimes end up approaching social issues. You know, we can call it trendy compassion. Here's what trendy compassion does. It, it looks around and it jumps on trends that it sees the world caring about. If justice is trending, we jump on that. If diversity is trending, then we're going to jump on that. If refugees are trending, hey, let's jump on that. So that, uh, it makes the church look like insecure teenagers trying to fit in instead of fearless followers of the Son of God which is not what we've been called to. And exactly like fast fashion, trendy compassion is cheap, 
It'll fall apart quickly. It will not last. And if you just want to jump on the cultural bandwagons, you're going to hop off when everybody else does. That's not what we're after. And so if we want something better than that, we, we have to look to a better place. And this is what's weird about it. We're trying to look for trends to hop on as if we don't have a better place to look for our priorities, as if the witness of Scripture doesn't have something to say to us about social issues. Uh, the church looking to cultural trends for social priorities will be like the Golden State Warriors looking to elementary school playgrounds for new talent. You got everything that you need. Other problem with this trendy compassion is it doesn't even solve the problem. It just makes everything worse. And here's why. Because it makes it hard for people to trust us. It makes it hard for people to trust Christians when they say, I've seen y'all act like you cared about this before and you hopped off. And what that does is it lies about what the gospel calls us to. And it's a bad witness for Jesus. So I'll just say this. I usually don't like it when I'm treated like I got to speak for all black people, but I think I can safely do that right now. Um, if you care about black people right now just because it's trendy, I want to tell you just save it. If you just like how it looks, just save it. Uh, if you just want to look like you, you know, if you're more scared about looking racist than actually being racist, I want to encourage you just save it. That's not what we need. What we need is uh, partnerships, Right? What we need is allies. What we need is brothers and sisters who will love us, who will walk with us, who will understand us, right? and who will fight alongside us for what we think are God's priorities. And before I just go on and say a little bit more about that, I just want to say a quick last word about hip-hop and other art and the role it plays. I do want to say art can help. Um, and I've seen it help. Right? I, you know, I've heard testimonies of people who said, you know, I, I was um, very close-minded to any kinds of these issues that black people go through day to day, and I heard these three songs or whatever. Um, or, you know, people, I know an interracial married couple who met at one of our concerts, right, and I asked them to give me a finder's fee. But, you know, I've seen cool stuff that's happened through the music. But I do want to say this, black art is not some kind of magic wand. It still has to be a, a humble heart attached that's listening to it. And one way I know it's not a magic wand is because plenty of fans love to turn on us as soon as they realize we're actual black people with black concerns in our black lives. And they want to uh, turn on us. I, I, I just want to say this, don't pat yourself on the back just because you like black art. Liking black music is not a fruit of the spirit. Liking black music is not distinctly Christian. Everybody likes black music because it's amazing. Uh, it just is. That's not... You know, and same thing with other art. Don't just be trying to feel good about yourself because you saw Black Panther. You know, there's some other stuff to think through. It doesn't solve all the problems because people can be entertained by black people while also being indifferent to the oppression of black people. Uh, people can quote black people and use those very quotes to belittle black people. It happens every day on Twitter. So don't let black music be your version of, but I have a black friend. Some kind of get out of jail free card that means you can't have a prejudiced bone in your body. That's a lie. Who cares if you like black lyrics if you don't care about black lives, right? Don't pat yourself on the back for that. It's not the magic wand. So what we need is not a superficial unity that is just created by music form or super, superficial commitment to justice. We don't need trendy compassion. We need a long-lasting commitment to God's priorities. We should care because God does. We should care about this not because it's trendy, but because God does. And when we have a clear picture of God's priorities, it's going to drive us to the right kind of compassion. 
right? We claim we love marriage because God does, and we love the unborn because God does, and we love the church because God does, and he does, and we should. But then shouldn't we love justice? Because God does. Clear as day, Psalm eleven seven: for the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. So the justice shouldn't be something we just tolerate hearing about. It should be something that we love and desire and fight towards. You know what else God loves? Unity among his people. Jesus loves unity among his people so much that he laid his life down for it. Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barriers, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus loves justice. He loves unity. And and one of the clearest pictures to me in Scripture that we shouldn't just be jumping on trends, we shouldn't be going after trendy compassion, is when you you look at the prophets, when you look at like Amos 5, and Amos 5, where he says this, seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Christians aren't to jump on trends. We're not to just hope that the trends land on something good. We're to actively seek good. We're to actively seek justice. We're to actively hate evil. That's what our justice conversations have to be driven by if we want them to be lasting in any way. That's what our unity conversations have to be driven by, the unity that Jesus has already accomplished at the cross if we want them to be lasting. We should care because God does. And God's commitment to justice and righteousness wasn't just lip service. He found a way to be both just and the justifier of sinners like us. I don't know if you forgot, but we were hopelessly lost. And Jesus didn't, in a trendy way, momentarily dip his toe into redemption. He dove in head first. Jesus didn't follow the crowd. Jesus didn't have a trendy compassion. Most people would not have done what Jesus did, but then again, Jesus is not most people. Most people wouldn't even die for a righteous person, but Jesus is not most people. Jesus laid his life down for the ungodly. Most people wouldn't have ate with sinners, but Jesus is not most people. Jesus ate with sinners, he lived for sinners, and then he died for sinners. Most people wouldn't give up a dollar for somebody else. But then again, Jesus is not most people. He became poor so that in him we might become eternally rich. Most people would never take the blame for something somebody else did. But Jesus is not most people. He became sin that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Most of us would not tolerate humiliation on any level, but Jesus is not most people. He humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. The example that we have from Jesus is not like most people. It's not following cultural trends. It's the selfless son of God who died on the cross for our sins. And when we follow this model he's laid down for us, that the Christian example for love is not a high five. It's not a pat on the back. It's a bloody death. And when we recognize that and live in light of that, we get to show what Jesus is like. Well, you know, if we want to glorify God, uh, by honoring him with the way that we live our lives, why would we leave compassion out of the equation when compassion is so clearly central to who Jesus is? We should care because God does. We should care because God does. You know, there are a lot of people in the world who can fight to 
you know, impact different areas of racial justice or racial unity. And, you know, we, even people that are not Christians, and we should want to support them and partner with them in different ways. But for those of us who know Jesus, we know one not only who can address particular symptoms in particular areas, we know the one who has the once-for-all solution to it. Not only do we know him, but we are his ambassadors. And we should look forward to the opportunity to show him off. This was the power of Dr. King's activism. It was enduring and persevering, and it was rooted in eternal biblical principles, not trends. So I don't know where you got your concern for justice, but Dr. King got it from Jesus. And that's where we should get it from, too. We do not want to be guilty of a trendy compassion. So let me close with three quick questions you can ask yourself to wonder if your compassion, your concern for these issues is trendy or if it's rooted in God's concern. First question to ask yourself is, why do I care? Are you here because it's trendy or it seems cool? Right? I mean, you've noticed that Uh, The news has moved on from talking about unarmed black men getting shot, and it's Trump all day, every day. They don't seem to care anymore, do you? Right? When when it's hard to build that relationship with a brother or sister who's different than you, and it's a lot harder than you thought, will you still care? Ask yourself why you care. Before you post that nugget on social media, ask yourself why you want to do that. If it's just to ease your conscience, I want to encourage you not to do that. Second question, has my caring turned into action? Right, I'm glad you're at this conference, but I don't want you to think that this conference means you are a warrior in the fight for racial justice and unity. I mean, let's keep it in perspective. This is an incredible conference, but it is just a a conference. You know, the, the purpose of having these discussions around what God has said in his word and how his people should respond is so that we would respond. So let's not, you know, give finish line praise just because we came up to the starting line. You know, I don't want to belittle uh, baby steps, but let's let those baby steps lead to bigger steps. We don't want to treat justice and unity like a quick campaign or a sermon series that we talk about a few days and move on to the next. You know, the work of God that God calls us to is slow and steady. I want to encourage you not to be discouraged when it doesn't go how you thought it would. Because the work God has called us to is slow and steady, and it won't be finished until he gets back and finishes it himself. Third question, do I care enough to actually sacrifice something? Now, do you only care enough just to sacrifice a few days for a conference, or are you willing to, in your life, fight for these things that you believe are God's priorities? I mean, would you be willing to lose power or privilege for this compassion? Would you be willing to lose comforts for this? Would you be willing to lose church members for this? If it's God's priority, then these are questions we should ask ourselves. You know, there was a time when caring about black people wasn't cool, right? It wasn't cool to care about black people, and lots of professing Christians didn't. So what happens when that time returns? Because I don't know if you've been paying attention, but it's not going so well. What happens when that time returns? When Dr. King preached on the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, he said that the, the question that the Samaritan asked was different than what the priest and the Levite asked. The lead priest and the Levite were thinking, what's going to happen to me if I help him? And the Good Samaritan said, what's going to happen to him if I don't? When we begin to think about sacrificing things for what we think are God's priorities, that's the right kind of Christ-like question to ask. That's gospel compassion, and that's what loving what God loves 
right? A commitment to his priorities is going to produce. We should care because he does. Last thing I'll say, uh, in his mountaintop speech, uh, Dr. King surprisingly said that if he could choose any period of time, he would choose the current one. It's the most brilliant intro I've ever heard to any speech or sermon ever. Um, He said if he could choose any time, he would choose that time, which is surprising because it was such a rough time. And, And as I think about myself, it would be hard for me to say the same thing until I thought about it. A little bit more. Um, and, you know, it can sound cliche to say that because obviously God has us where we are for a reason. But I do think that what we're in right now is a special time for those who know and love the priorities of Jesus can show up. Because people are out here selling stubborn patriotism and calling it Christianity. We get a chance to show what Jesus is actually like. The dignity of, of image bearers is under attack. Right? We get to defend the dignity of all image bearers. We get to show people what Jesus is actually like. There's some people who love justice but hate the righteousness of God. We get the opportunity to declare and walk in both God's righteousness and his justice. We get the chance to show what Jesus is like. These are times that the Lord has given us uh, that we should consider it a privilege that he would allow us to join him in his work for his work. Thanks for listening to the ERLC podcast. If you'd like more information on racial unity, visit ERLC.com and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Podcast. Join us next week as we hear a panel about the future of marriage and family.